Psalm 118, verses 1 to 7. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can men do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. The word of the Lord. You'll notice this refrain in this Psalm 118. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. You, you see it there at the very beginning when he's talking about uh, who's going to do that. Israel, Aaron, all those who fear the Lord will say his steadfast love endures forever. Implying that they will give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And then if you turn and you'll see there at the very end, in verse 29, it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And so really, the heart of this psalm, in between those two statements, commands even, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Gives us the opportunity to walk in a path or a posture of gratitude. Um, you know when you get presents, and particularly like wedding gifts, so if you got wedding gifts, or Christmas presents, or birthday presents, or just nice gifts, and the proper response to those is to say, thank you. Not socks again, but thank you. <laughs> right? Uh, like you have a certain time, there's etiquette that tells you you have a certain time in order to get thank you cards sent out to people if they give you gifts, depending on the circumstance and the occasion. Um, I'm not necessarily really good at that, just so you know. Gratefulness is something that we know we're supposed to do. Gratefulness is something that we know is like what good people and right people do. But I, I think what I have found is that as I think about gratitude is it seems to be very hard to do. And in fact, we oftentimes uh, will say things like this. Um, I have found for myself that gratitude can seem like a glorified form of denial. That it can be a way of papering over our problems that we maybe post inspirational sayings on our Facebook accounts and we say hashtag blessed, hashtag gratitude. The fact is, just like the sun that's beating down today or the deluge of rain that came on last Monday, life continues and it either is scorching or drenching. <laughs> and there's no in between. And so it's hard for us often to set back with a heart and say, yes, I'm to be 
grateful and have gratitude when we can look around and go, there's so much bad going on on a large level and on an individual level. There's so much that's happening in our lives that cause us not to want to be grateful. When we're children and we get a present, our gratefulness doesn't come out because we think maybe that wasn't the present I wanted, or even if it is the present I wanted, I also want something else. And we are discontent. As we get older and more refined, we just think, why is this continuing to happen to me? How could I possibly be grateful? I just seem to walk two steps forward and three steps back. I think that's the beautiful thing about this psalm for us, is it, it's not something that when we read it, it is a papering over of our problems. It's not something that is just a, a brushing aside those things and saying, you know, it's okay, have gratitude. What this psalm does is it actually walks us into the depths of it, into the trials and tribulations that come into our lives. And it reminds us that we can have a posture of gratitude. Now, some of you will remember that um, just at the beginning of last year, we preached a whole series of what a posture of an individual who is a, a disciple, a follower of Christ looks like, and we as a church, what we want to have. And maybe you remember that it was a posture of welcome and a posture of being for those others, a posture of care for everyone and everything, a posture of create, a posture of go, and a posture of rest, and a posture, uh, lastly, of all, that we look to God in all. I want to add to that today and say that we are called to have a posture of gratitude. And this psalm will lead us into what that looks like. So the first thing we want to look at is trust. Now that comes to us in verse 8 and 9. We can't move into this place of having a, a posture of gratitude, of gratefulness, without having trust. Verse 8, depending on how you play it, and this might be fake because I saw it on Facebook. Uh, verse 8 of chapter 118 is the middle verse of the middle chapter of the Bible. Now, that depends on whether or not what Bible you're using, quite honestly. But that, that, that's what they say. So listen to what it says. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Well, even if it's not, that's a pretty good verse. right? That's a good verse to have. Because it reminds us that a posture of gratitude first comes from a place of trust. Look, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. We all have a propensity to either trust ourselves or trust those around us to make our lives complete. We all think that somebody, whether it's our own hearts or whether somebody out there, has the answer or the solution to our problem. Some of us even go further and say, no, no, it's princes, it's governments, it's principalities, it's those who are in control. They'll take care of us. They'll get it figured. They're smart men and women. And what this reminds us is that when we put our trust in men, when we put our trust in princes, they will fail us. And so it is better to take refuge in God, the Father who knows us and loves us and is ever pursuing of us. John Calvin, who 
wrote a commentary on Psalms, said this. He makes it clear that it's not just men, but princes, and why the psalmist wrote it that way. Not only those who put their confidence in men of low degree are foolish, but also those who confide even in the greatest potentates or powers. For the trust that is put in flesh shall at last, shall at last be accursed. It will fail. But the enjoyment of God's favor will convert us even from death into life. Look, we all have friends that we know do life better than us. <laughs> and it's okay to admit it. They seem to do life better than us. We, we all have maybe even our partner who seems to have it just a little bit more together than us. And it's okay for us to say they seem to have it going on. They seem to have it. But we can't trust that they will solve our problem or that they will move into our hearts and change it to be a place of gratitude. Because they inevitably will let us down. Why? Well, because we have such high standards for everybody and low standards for ourselves. <laughs> everybody should live to this extreme, except for me. And maybe that's because we've just had this series of what we perceive are failures after failures after failures. Or these attacks that keep coming in, which we will see in a minute. And so we think, well, there's no place to put my trust in this world. And I say, that's right. There isn't. But the place is in the Father, God. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Why? Why is that? Well, remember this. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. So first, we have to have trust to have a posture of gratitude. The second, second thing we need to recognize is that we need to have gratitude. It springs from trial. Gratitude actually springs in the midst of trial. Let me read verse 8 through 18. It says, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in the princes. All the nations surround me. In the name of the Lord, I will cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I will cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I will cut them off. I, will push, I was pushed hard so that I was failing and falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live. And recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Listen. To possess a place of gratitude, a posture of gratitude, springs from those trials. Listen, I'm not saying you have to be grateful for the trials. It's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that we can be grateful in the moment of the trials. See, we're not called to look at things like abuse. We're not called to look at things like um, overpowering powers. We're not called to look at things like sickness and go, got to be grateful for it. Thanks for giving me that. No. 
Because those aren't gifts to be received in that way. But in the midst of that, we can find gratitude in that moment. Why? Because we recognize that we are not alone. Listen to those verses again. Here they are. All the nations are surrounding me. They surrounded me on every side. They were like stinging bees coming after me. But what happened? The Lord cut them off. The Lord cut them off. They went out like a fire in the thorns. Quickly. Gone. Why? Because the Lord cut them off. I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord has become my strength and my song, my salvation. It is His hand that is valiant. It is His hand that is exalted. It is His hand. When we stand in this place, we recognize that in the midst of trials, gratitude is a thing that we can possess in that moment. So I, I want to remind you and say to you, don't let anybody tell you, well, when bad things happen, you just got to be thankful. No. But when bad things happen, I encourage you to look for the opportunity to be thankful. Not for the thing, but for what God can and is and will continue to do in the midst of it. Now, here's the hard thing for us who are, are, are God-bothers, are followers of Christ, is this verse here. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. So he's talking about all the nations. He's talking about this surrounding. He's, he's talking about being pressed down and this trial that's come into his life. And who does he put that on? He put it on God. What we recognize here is something that we see later written in this scripture in Hebrews. Let me read it to you. Hebrews 12, starting in verse 4. It says, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addressed you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be wary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chases every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons and daughters. For what son or daughter is there whom the father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline and all which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons or daughters. Besides that, we have had earthly fathers who've disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of the spirits and life? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. There's two things I want to make clear here. I'm not saying that every trial that enters your life, every sickness that comes upon you, every broken relationship that takes place is God disciplining you. Okay, Don't hear that. What the writer of this Psalms is saying is the things that he saw were God's discipline. Okay, That's not the case in all circumstances. 
But I also want to get out of your mind and my mind. I have to remind myself of this all the time. That discipline, the discipline of the Father is not retribution. The discipline of the Father is restorative. Sadly, when I discipline my children, oftentimes, as much as I want it to come from a place of being restorative to them, of bringing them back, of pursuing them in love, oftentimes, it is done out of retribution. I'm your dad. You didn't do what I said. And since you didn't do what I said, you deserve to be punished. And somehow in our minds, in our hearts, we have placed that as the image of the ever-loving, ever-pursuing Father. And we think that he looks down with wrath and says, No, you're not living up. No, you're not doing what I've told you to do. No, you deserve to be punished. Hear me. God's discipline is restorative. It is only there in order to bring you back. Hebrews says to holiness. Well, what is holiness? Holiness is being in a whole relationship with God. A whole relationship knowing who we are in Christ Jesus. A whole relationship with those around us. That is holiness. It is knowing who God is and knowing how he relates to us and how he pursues us. It's recognizing that he has every right to punish us with retribution, but he chooses not to because he is restorative in his nature. He can't help but be restorative towards us. And why do we know that? Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. So it's not just trust, and it's not just in the midst of trials that we move to this place of having a heart of gratitude, but it is also this particular day. Oh, listen to this. Verse 19 through 24. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter in through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and you have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected have become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. There's a German monk who said this. So you think this is just another day in your life? It's not just another day. It's the one day that you have been given. It's today. You see, when we live our lives thinking that we, one, are owed more days, or two, have failed in the days that have come before, we lose sight of the day today. What? This is saying that this is the day. This is the day. And tomorrow, this is the day. And the day after, this is the day. Is that we have to live in the holy now, the presence, 
understanding that in, in this present, in this day, we have every opportunity to move into a place of gratitude by beholding the beautiful, loving pursuit of God. By believing completely in that pursuit and by being bowled over by God's love for us. That at every moment in every day, it is today. And in this day, it is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Rich Mullins, who's a contemporary Christian music singer who I loved dearly, said this once, and he probably stole it from somebody. Not that he didn't claim that at some point. We just all forgot that he probably stole it from somebody because he put it on a t-shirt and we all wore it around. He said, live like you'll die tomorrow, die knowing that you'll live forever. That's how you live in today. You live like you'll die tomorrow. Look, if you were going to live like you're going to die tomorrow, what would you do? Would you worry about getting cut off in traffic? Probably not. And if you are, we need to have a conversation. W would you worry uh, about the fact that my kids didn't quite obey me in the way that they cleaned up their room? Probably not. Would you worry about what other people think about you? Or would you worry about what other people are doing? Probably not. What you would probably do is try and gather up all those people that you love and share your love with them as much and as quickly and as often as possible. Live like you'll die tomorrow, but die knowing that you'll live forever. Listen, that's not an escapist clause there. That is not saying, yeah, but I'll die, so I don't have to pay my bills, I don't have to do this, right? Because we can do that. Oh no, we have responsibilities in this day. We have things that we have to do. So it's not an escape. It's not something like, oh, and I'll finally be out of this world, and I'll finally be out of this misery. No. It is the ability for us to move to a place of knowing even the millisecond of what is happening in our lives today does not last forever. But what lasts forever is this. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. So it's not just about trust. It's not just in the midst of trial. It's not just about today. It's also about this place. And by this place, I don't necessarily mean this chapel, but I mean this place where we have gathered together and worship because it is we are the place. If you look at verse 19 and verse 27 in here, it tells you where they're at. He says, open up the gates of righteousness to me that I may enter. And then in verse 27, it says, the Lord is God and he has made light shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifices with cords up to the horns of the altar. What David is talking about here, or the writer of this psalm is talking about here, is he is talking about worship. He's talking about the gathering together of God's people. He's talking about the fact that we've been built together. See, here's the thing. A posture of gratitude requires us to be together. <laughs> because we are so quick to build for ourselves a narrative of want, of lacking. We're so quick to build in our own hearts 
that there is something missing. And when we recognize or think to ourselves that something is missing, it's very hard for us to have a posture of gratitude. That same monk said this. And this is really when joy comes to itself, so to say, when it's actually articulated. And for us, for many people in our culture, the heart fills up with joy with gratefulness, and just as the moment when it wants to overflow and really joy comes into itself, at that moment, advertisement comes in and says, no, no, there's a better model, and there's a newer model, and your neighbor has a bigger one. And so instead of overflowing, we make our bowls bigger and bigger and bigger, and it never overflows. It never gives us this joy It's affluent, this affluency side that means it always flows in, but it never overflows. And it flows in and in and in and in, and it chokes us eventually. And we don't have to deprive ourselves of anything, but we never learn what real joy is or gratitude. That's why we have to be together. Because we have to remind one another that no, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. We remind ourselves that I only need this bowl. I don't need this bowl. And because I need this bowl is not so that I have what I need. It's so that I get more than I need and it overflows into and over all those around me. And how can I not have a posture of gratitude when I see myself being filled up and filling up others? Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Trust in the midst of trials on this day in this place. But it only happens because of this person. Verse 22. The stone that the builder rejected has become the cornerstone. The stone that the builder rejected has become the cornerstone. Listen to Acts 4. Verse 11. This is Peter, he's talking to the rulers who are trying to get rid of them. And he says this, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given unto men by which they must be saved. How do we move into this posture of gratitude? It's because it is built on the cornerstone. And the cornerstone is the one who was rejected, Jesus Christ. He is the one who has made all this possible because he is the purest expression of the Trinitarian God's pursuit of us. He's the son. He is the one who went on the cross and he is the one who rose again. He is the cornerstone by which we are able to say, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. My good friend Nathan Partain is a muso and 
he wrote this song. I will never sing for you, so I won't sing this now. But I will read the lyrics, and you can look it up. It's on an album called A Lovely Wait. It says this, speaking of God, you are full of compassion and abounding in love. You created things from nothing. Call what's not, though it was. You are light with no shadow, with no shifting or change. You turn weeping to dancing and despair into thanks. You are good, and all you do is good. You release every captive, cut the shackles from slaves. Those who hate you, you ransom, give your blood, give you give your blood for their shame. With the bent stem, you're tender. Shield the smoldering flame. You bring home the unwanted. Call the lost back by name. You are good, and all you do is good. You lift up, you retrieve, you restore, you increase, you anoint, you fill up, you spill out. You release, you make grow, you bring forth, you call out, you set free. It's who you are, it's who you were, it's who you will always be. Your life is eternal, not in measure, but kind. Running over with healing, inexhaustible might. You in us and we in you, the delight in your face. Resting here we enjoy you. And our joy is your praise. You are good. And all you do is good. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Father God, let these words be your words. Let them come to us and deep, deep into our hearts. May they bring you glory and honor and we pray, Father, that if they aren't their, your words, that they will burn up and pass away. Teach us and guide us into the place of having gratitude. Let us recognize that in the midst of our trials, there is gratitude. For you are good, and all you do is good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We now come to a point where I'll stand under the...